Hello and welcome. For those of you that don't know us, we're the Funk family. I'm Madison, this is my dad, Kevin, and this is my mom, Christy. Good evening, Cross Point. We're thankful that we get to be here tonight to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We hope that you will join us again on Sunday mornings. We have service here each week at 10 o'clock. On behalf of our family and Cross Point, um, we just want to say thank you for coming, and we are thankful for each and every one of you that has made the trip tonight. Um, I'd like to kick off our, our evening together with a uh, word of prayer. Uh, please join me. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much uh, for your word, for the truth of your word. Lord, we're thankful for your unending grace in our, each of our lives. Lord, we're thankful even before the world began, you set in motion a plan. And that plan began in the form of a baby in a manger. And we are here tonight to celebrate that, Lord. And I pray for Dave, the message, his message to be clear, to fall on ears that need to hear a message tonight, to... just to have a message that has, has, uh, has not been heard in a way that, that needs to be brought, brought across. And we just love you so much for everything that you have done for us. We're just very, very thankful for this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand up with us.
Father, thank you for giving us your Son, who is the image of God in his fullness. Glory, praise, and honor be to him and him alone. And we worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Tonight in the message, we'll be looking at the Christmas story as told to us by Luke. Listen to what John Bloom writes, helping us get an authentic and honest picture of the Christmas scene. Luke leads us beyond the village and down a dark, twisting, rocky path to some ignored, ignoble spot where we suddenly come upon the site that we find surprisingly disturbing. Not 10 feet away, asleep on the ground near a small fire that has burned down to the embers, is a peasant girl. She has bits of straw in her long, dark, messy hair, and she's wrapped in dirty cloaks and a blanket. A split-second look tells us how difficult this night must have been for her, and she is so young. Even more distressing, we see beside her in a small, crude, dirty feeding trough which lays there a sleeping newborn wrapped tightly in insanitary blood-smeared cloths. We take a few tentative steps forward. We know this child and we know this girl, but the scene seems so strange to us. It does not look anything like the manger scenes and the illustrated books of our childhood. Our Advent traditions did not prepare us for the earthly realness of the real Advent. Mary is not serene. She is bone-weary. And no divine, heavenly glow emanates from this child. He's not even especially beautiful. In fact, there is nothing about this child to to suggest the unfathomable mystery of who he is. We are unnerved to realize that had we not already known, we would not have recognized him at all. This scene, this real Christmas, has nothing of the feeling of the Christmas that we know. And we are hit with the shock of the truth we've known all our lives. This young girl just gave birth to a baby, the baby, in a pasture. Our visceral response is pity and sadness. This poor girl and her baby. We know this story, but we see it as it really was, and when we do, it seems so wrong. Our impulse is to do something for them, so we look incredulously at Luke. He calmly, from the child to ask, quietly says, there is no place for him in the inn. No place? No place besides a field for the maker of the world? This cosmic absurdity um, stuns us. Surely we can find some room somewhere, we respond. Can you? Luke replies. And then he turns and begins back up the path. Bustling and bursting Bethlehem had no room for the advent of Jesus. And echoing in our ears are our own words. Surely we can find some room somewhere. 
can we? The real Christmas was nothing like the Christmas we've come to know with its traditions and its memories and legends. It was a desperate moment that occurred for a desperate reason. The word became flesh so that the word could become sin for us condemned sinners and die for us that we might be made righteous in him. He was born outside a village and he died outside a city. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Is it no less ironic that Jesus can stand on the edge of our busy Advent activities than it was that he, the son of David, lay in a manger in a field on the edge of the city of David? Therefore, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas morning, may we make room for Jesus, the Son of God, at the center, not at the edge of our hearts. Let every heart prepare him room. Thanks for reading that, Susan. Merry Christmas. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're thankful that you've chosen to be with us as we celebrate Christmas together in what we call our Crosspoint living room here tonight. If you're our guest, we'd love for you to come back and be our guest on a Sunday morning. If you don't have a church home, we meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. So the first verse of Joy to the World says this, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And that's our desire tonight, that we would come face to face with the reality of the Christmas story and its significance in our lives that we'd look at Luke 2, and we wouldn't just kind of go through the motions here, but, but we would truly pause and reflect on what that story, what the significance of Christmas means to each of us individually. Not just tonight, not just tomorrow, but as a way of life that we would prepare Him room in our life from this point forward. We would say to Jesus, You are my Lord. You always have room in my heart. And where I've tried to crowd you out with lesser things... Lord, I pray that you would, by your power, help me set those aside, cast those aside so that you would reign supreme over my heart, over my life. In the Bible, you see promise and fulfillment continually. Promise and fulfillment. God makes a promise, and then you see him fulfill that promise. The Christmas story is a great example of that. The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that began in Genesis and traces throughout the Old Testament in September, as a church, we began this three-year three journey, chronological journey, through the story of Scripture. We've gone through Genesis. We're in the book of Exodus now. And ever since Genesis 3 and in Genesis 12, we see this, this Old Testament pointing us to Jesus. Keeps pointing us to one day the Savior of the world will come. One day He will come to save, to rescue, to reconcile. God promised a Savior would come. And at Christmas, He fulfilled that promise, and he is faithful to his promises. Watch this. Isaiah 7.14, written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. God is coming into human history to be with his creation, the people, his people. You see the promise fulfilled in Mary. And then Micah 5.2, written about 400 years before Jesus is born again, 
says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Ancient times meaning eternity. Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's always existed. And at Christmas, He took on flesh to dwell among us. The hero, the rescuer, the redeemer will be born in the small town of Bethlehem. We see these two promises, among others, fulfilled in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 2, according to Luke, the Christmas story. Tonight, I want to read the first 20 verses of Luke 2. Familiar verses. You might think of Linus in a blanket. You might, but these are familiar verses for us. And I want us to, to read them together and then um, uh, pull out one aspect of this story that stood out to me as I got ready for this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while yeah, that guy. He was governor of Syria. That word in the, in the Christmas story. That's always, Linus didn't say that one. And everyone uh, went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in, and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. He will be, this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they, what they had been told, what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as as they had been told. The promise of a Messiah throughout the Old Testament, that one day a child would be born, a ruler, a king would come, and now, in the beginning of the New Testament, the fulfillment of this promise. God's sovereign plan in motion right before our eyes His redemption plan to bring salvation to all who would repent and believe, to all nations, every tribe, every tongue. This worldwide mission that began in Genesis is now unfolding in the birth of the Savior. As the angel announced, this was good news. It would be of great joy for all the people. So God knew it would happen here and now. And yet, does it ever strike you that He didn't plan for room in a building for the birth of His Son? That when John 1 says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, God didn't providentially plan for the birth of His Son to at least be in a building. And yet that lack of room 
It may surprise us. It may stun us in a sense, but it doesn't surprise. It didn't, it didn't stun God. He wasn't taken by surprise. Joseph and Mary head back to Bethlehem because a census is being taken. So everyone is returning to their hometown. So the small town is crowded with, with lots of people, and therefore there would be no guest room available, no room in the inn for them. God knew it would be that way and wanted it that way. Because one dominant characteristic that you see in Jesus and his earthly ministry was humility. You see humil- humility in, the, in his way of life. You see humility in his, in his response to a corrupt trial and arrest. You see his humility even in his death. And so here, even in his birth, you see the humility of our Savior being born in Bethlehem outside of a building in a way in which none of us would have written had it been our story to write. Laid down not in a beautiful golden crib fit for a king, but into a feeding trough. Born where the animals are kept. Needless to say, Jesus was born into very humble circumstances like what Susan read earlier. As we read this story, we consider the centuries of promise and prophecy that that led up to this moment. And we think to ourselves, innkeeper, really? You couldn't find some room for Mary and Joseph? You couldn't find some space for them? For the innkeeper to have found room for Mary and Joseph, it would have required him to ask someone else to leave. It would have required that he evict someone else who probably had already paid or at least had greater financial means than Joseph and Mary. And so I'm reading into this a bit, but I think it's safe to assume that the innkeeper was unwilling to do that. He was unwilling to ask someone else to leave in order to make room for this young couple. Little did he know who he was being asked to make room for, though. Little did he know that the child his mother was carrying was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Little did he know that centuries of promise were being fulfilled in Bethlehem in this moment. Had he known, he probably would have responded differently. If he had known who this child was, he would have asked someone else to move. He probably would have bumped Jim and Margaret out and moved Joseph and Mary in, but he didn't. And all we're told in the Gospel of Luke is that there was no room in the inn for them. As you, as you and I have gotten ready for this Christmas season, gotten ready for tomorrow or even tonight, the the different gatherings that we've had, you've, you and I have probably prepared a lot, right? We're having family over to our house tonight after the service, so we prepared this week. We cleaned and we, we made food and we, we did laundry and we got the house ready, all right? And one thing, anytime the house is getting ready, there are levels. I don't know how this works in your household, but there are levels um, of excellence in our home, okay? There's the son level, okay? There's the daughter level, and then there's like when I clean and stuff and do stuff around the house. And then there's like a whole other echelon. And that's like the Heather level, all right? It's like excellence and quality off the charts, okay? That's what I'm grateful for. Just thought of it last night as she stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning doing things or that. And I just went to bed. Um, just grateful for the Heather level. I don't know how that works. If it's the husband or the father, what level that is. It's probably not the child. It's grateful for that level of preparation, all right? If you've got younger children... Maybe you've already gone into their room and you've done some house cleaning. Uh, You've removed some stuff because you know something new is going to come. 
So you've taken this out. They don't even know it's probably gone because they don't play with it anymore. But you prepared some room for something new to come in. Or you, maybe you've hosted a big family thing, so you've moved some furniture around so you can set up the card table and the six-foot table and those kind of things, making room for people. The Christmas tree, you probably had to remove something, move something around so that you'd have room for that tree in the corner or in your space in the family room. This is all part of the Christmas season, is it not? Preparing, one part of that preparation is making room for something new, whether that be Christmas trees, toys, people, gifts, In Joy to the World, it says, let every heart prepare him room. The writer of Joy to the World, Isaac Watts, was alluding to the reality that as people, we don't naturally, on our own, prepare room in our hearts for Jesus. We are much like the innkeeper that says, "Mm, there's no room for you here. There's no room for you in my heart. On our own, apart from the grace of God, we are not apt to remove something to make room for Jesus because the Bible tells us that our hearts are prone to selfishness and sin. And then Uncle Pride shows up, and, and we've just got a mess on our hands because in the inn of our hearts, sin, selfishness, pride, those are the tenets of our hearts on our own. Because our hearts are born with a bent that says, I don't want to follow someone else. I don't want to obey someone else. I don't want to listen to anyone other than me. We're born with hearts that are naturally opposed to the things of God, naturally are separated from God because of our sin. But ever since the Old Testament, God's Word has called this reality out in us. He's called it idolatry, that we are prone to to worship idols. And maybe that sounds like third world as if we have wooden creatures on our mantles or on our shelves, but it's not that. In our case, what we face are idols that are much more subtle than that, much more subtle. They don't sit on a shelf, but they reside in our hearts. Sin, selfishness, pride, you could probably lump them all underneath that. The Ten Commandments call us to have no other gods before our God. In the Old Testament, in the words of Jesus, we are, uh, we are commanded to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's throughout Scripture. That command, Jesus says, is the first and greatest commandment that we can obey. We are told to worship our God alone. And so we've got this problem on our hands. We've got a will and a heart that naturally wants to only worship us. But then a creator God who knit us together, who calls us to worship Him. And the only remedy to that disconnect, the only remedy to that sin problem is Jesus. It's Jesus who is the Savior born at Christmas. He comes to rescue us from our sin, to be born of a virgin. So He's unstained by the DNA of sin. He's unstained by that. So so He lives a sinless, perfect life. He bears the weight, the penalty, the punishment for our sin He dies for our sins so that we wouldn't have to bear the weight and the penalty and the punishment of that in eternity, so that we wouldn't have to die in our sin. And then on the third day, to rise again, conquering sin and death, He ascends to heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father, and one day will return not as a humble baby, but as a judge and a king. The only remedy to our sin problem is to trust in the Rescuer, to trust in Jesus that He died for us and rose again for us, that for those who place their faith and trust in Him, that we would turn from our old ways of, of thinking and living and turn toward Jesus, who not only saves but gives us this new heart, a new spirit that then seeks to live for and worship Him. 
Through Jesus, we can have a relationship with God, with the God of the universe, a relationship that was cut off because of our sin. So at Christmas, we are reminded that God has pursued us through the sending of His Son. God loves you. He created you. He knit you together, is what Psalm says, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in His desires that you would prepare room in your heart for Him. Now, when I say that, though, it sometimes gives the impression that we can follow and trust in Jesus and still kind of follow and trust in ourselves at the same time. We can still carry what we are uh, carrying. We can still hold on to what we're holding on to right now and then just kind of add Jesus into the mix. Over the last month, have you carried some groceries into your house? We've carried a lot of groceries into our house over the last few weeks, all right? And so when I'm carrying groceries in uh, from the trunk, uh, it's kind of a contest. It's a contest with myself, all right? I'm competitive even with myself. How many bags can I carry in on one trip, all right? You do this? I can't see your faces because these lights are so bright, but um, I'm trusting that, that you might do this as well. Um, we've got, I got 10 fingers, okay? So I'm carrying in how many bags can I fit and can I get that milk jug with my pinky yes i can but now i can't open the door so i'm oh i got an elbow i can use that i got teeth i can use those i can knock on the door someone can rescue me okay i don't know if you don't do this but but i do this all the time can i carry this whole trunk full in one load show my wife how awesome i am all right sometimes we take the same approach to following jesus well i still want to carry this and this and this can I just hook Jesus with my pinky and, and bring him too? But can I still carry on all this other stuff? Can I still keep all this other stuff in my life and just kind of add Jesus into the mix? Can I just prepare a spot in my heart and, and yet still hold on to these other things? It doesn't work that way according to the Scripture. So, so when we sing, let every heart prepare him room, we're not just preparing a spot on our couch temporarily in our living room. We're giving Jesus the control of the place. He's now the landlord of our hearts. We're not. He's the innkeeper now. He's the Lord of our hearts, the Lord of our house, if you will. If we fast forward around 30 years from Jesus' birth, uh, uh, the Gospels record a story, an interaction that Jesus had with a rich young man. Mark 10 is one place it's recorded. And the young man, basically, the young, young rich ruler, was asking Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, I've done this, and I've obeyed this, and I've done this, and I've obeyed this. And he's got this laundry list of things that he's done. And so Jesus says, go ahead and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible basically records that this young ruler went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. Now, Jesus was not saying we get saved by by selling everything and giving it away, that that somehow is a work that saves us or wipes out our sin or makes us acceptable to God. He's not saying that. One point of the story is that this young man was unwilling to let go of something he thought was great. He was unwilling to let go of that for someone who was greater. If not, you could say, you would say, according to Scripture, the greatest treasure the greatest treasure of all. He was unwilling to let go of his treasure for the greatest treasure, the Son of God who, who was inviting him into a, a life-giving, eternity-changing relationship. In terms of the innkeeper, 
the young ruler was unwilling to evict something else, something lesser for someone greater. Jesus equated our hearts with with the control center of our lives. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, So out of the overflow of our heart, actions happen. Choices are made. Words are said. So if we are to prepare our hearts for Jesus, then we must first begin by giving the title of innkeeper or giving the title of landlord to Him. We transfer that role away from us and we give it to Him. We say to Jesus, you're the Son of God, so you're now the Lord and King of my life, and I'll trust in and follow you. So what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? What's taking up residence in your heart that needs to be evicted? Because we can't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love Him supremely above all else, and still hold on to all these other things. So is it bitterness, addiction, Lust, pride, greed, selfishness. Maybe tonight it's, it's just an unbelief, a lack of belief. Maybe you're prone to trust in you and you only when it really comes down to it. But today is the day where you could trust in a God who sent His Son at Christmas to save you, to rescue you, to die for you, to rise again for you, to save you and give you an abundant life, not only here on this earth, but in eternity. One theme throughout Scripture is the idea that for those who claim to follow Jesus, we put off old ways and we put on new things. So we put off or we evict, we kick out anger, rage, malice, slander, idolatry, lust. And we put on things like humility, gentleness, patience, love, generosity. In Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. At Christmas, we are reminded of the truth that Jesus has come so that our sin, our past, doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to enslave us. But rather, by the grace of God, we can prepare room in our hearts for Jesus to be Lord, where we humble ourselves before Jesus, who Isaiah describes as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The innkeeper was unwilling to to make room for Joseph and Mary the soon-to-be-born Jesus. Had he known how great Jesus was, he would have done it in a heartbeat. Jesus is the greatest treasure. He is the one worth letting go of all our sin, all our selfishness, and all our pride in order to gain, to obtain a relationship with him. He's the Son of God, the beginning and the end And He desires for you to know Him personally in a relationship. He desires that you would trust in Him and not in yourself because He desires to spend eternity with you and not to be separated from you because of sin. Let every heart prepare Him room this Christmas. Let every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. As we light candles for Silent Night, as we sing that together and the band leads us, let that be our prayer. Lord, I prepare room in my heart for you. And not just a corner of my heart, but I give you my heart. And the things that I'm holding on to, the things I'm trying to hold on to and still follow you, I let those go. I set those aside. I cast those idols aside. And I turn from those and I turn toward you 
and that you would be the Lord, the leader of my life, knowing you are far, far worth more, any, or just worth so much more than anything I can imagine here on this earth. The light of the world has come. The promised one has come. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. The rescue has come. The, the savior of our hearts and lives has come. Glory to God in the highest. Let's stand and sing together. Sleep in
Father, thank you for sending your son. God, we worship you tonight. Tonight, I pray that we would prepare room in, in our hearts and in our lives for you. I pray that the things that we are holding on to that aren't of you, I pray that you would, by your power and grace, cast those aside. And that as a way of life, long past this Advent season, that we would lift you high as the King and the Lord, the landlord of our hearts. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, the way that you pursued us at Christmas. We are reminded of all of that truth tonight. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we are saved by grace and through faith, Lord. And we love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. See you Sunday.